Welcome to our podcast. Today we're going to talk about Adler and I'm Rebecca Jarvis. I'm one of the senior restructuring partners at Linklaters and I'm joined today by my colleague Nick Lemazurier um, who's also a senior restructuring partner here and co-head of our restructuring group. So we plan today really to focus on the bigger picture post the Adler decision and think what that means and try and articulate for all of you what it means for the process of restructuring going forwards. Um, and we think there are a few key issues coming out of the decision. Um, and we're going to try and sort of take you through each of those in a little more detail. Uh, so the six things that we are going to focus on today are the retention of equity, um, which was confirmed as OK. Uh, we will also discuss the restructuring surplus and the need for alternative plans. Uh, Nick is also going to talk to you in some detail about the Parry Passu principle. And I will finish off talking about new money, the propensity for restructuring plans to be used as civil litigation going forward, and with a little taster on what we think the actual practical impact of the successful appeal is. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to my partner, Nick. Thanks very much, Rebecca. Um, um, and as Rebecca mentioned, I'm going to talk about those the, those first three topics, starting with with retention of equity. Um, this is probably the, the the easiest aspect of one of, of the main questions that were asked in the in the Adler appeal. Um, in that, the court confirmed that the gifting of equity by in the money creditors or those most affected by the retention um, was broadly acceptable. So um, what Adler didn't do was introduce an absolute priority rule by the back door. Um, and um, as I'm sure many of you know, that absolute priority rule is a feature of a number of, of the equivalents of RPs across European jurisdictions. But it, it has now been firmly established that, that there is not a, a judicial attempt to introduce it into the RP when it was um, missing from the original legislation. Um, so moving on from retention of equity, the, the, the second key point is in relation to um, the restructuring surplus or the potential for alternative plans to that put forward by the plan company itself. Um, these issues have been a key potential battle, battleground on a number of previous RPs and were a key topic in, in the Adler um, decision itself. And from the, the comments made by um, the Court of Appeal and Adler, we think you can glean a, a few important takeaways. The first is the importance of the horizontal comparator. And by the horizontal comparator, we mean that is comparing the position of the dissenting class in question with the position of the other creditors in a go ahead or a plan being successful scenario. Secondly, in this context, it's not just relevant um, to consider the relevant alternative, um, but you also need to consider um, not only that to, to, to assess the initial relative positions, but you also need to look at what is likely to happen in a successful plan scenario as well. Thirdly, you don't just look at the narrow threshold question of whether someone is worse off or not, which is broadly the test um, set out in the legislation itself, but you also need to ask how the treatment is different as compared to what we would expect it to be based on the relevant alternative. 
And if it is different, and importantly, it often is different, you need to justify those differences. Fourthly, it's useful to consider what an appropriate justification might be um, and the types of, of topics mentioned in the Adler decision, but also that generally come up in, in RPs are the things like the provision of new money, the payment of employees, the treatment of critical trade creditors, et cetera, are all um, areas that might justify differential treatment. Fifthly, it's useful to consider um, examples of that differential treatment. So as, as an illustration, probably the most obvious and current example of differential treatment is a concept um, that's commonly called debt elevation, which is, there, though, which is where those who provide new money also get to elevate the status of some of their existing debt. Um, this technique was broadly approved um, by the court in Adler. Um, though there were a number of comments made about the fact it must be justifiable um, and proportionate. Sixthly, and finally, the court will consider the overall fairness of allocation of value created by the restructuring, um, and also will consider whether there might be the potential for a better or a fairer plan. So just trying to draw the, these, these separate um, strings together a little bit. Um, whilst all of the above points do not represent a, a change in law, or likely to lead to a dramatic change in practice, it does show a, a shift towards the need to justify how the fruits of the restructuring are shared, while still emphasizing the importance of the relevant alternative and the lack of an absolute priority rule. So the basic takeaway is the need for clear and credible justifications for the treatment being proposed. Finally, in terms of the, 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 the three topics that, that I will discuss is um, the pari passu principle. So this is the main legal challenge that, that, um, that was considered by the court and is also the main ground on which the original sanction for the restructuring plan was overturned. Um, very simply, um, it was found that the Adler RP breached the pari passu principle because in the relevant alternative, all notes ranked pari passu and the differential maturities would be considered irrelevant. But in the plan, the different maturity dates were preserved and there was a real risk that the later dated notes would not be repaid in full. The court considered that this was a clear departure from the pari passu principle and thus unacceptable. So again, trying to draw the, the practical implica implications of this together. It's fair to say that the Adler fact pattern is relatively rare. For example, the business was effectively put into runoff with the expectation that everyone would be repaid, but hadn't had a, re a relevant alternative where everyone was pari. This is quite unusual. Also, some of the distinctions drawn that did allow departures from the pari passu treatment are quite hard to follow, particularly as regards determining that the treatment of the, the notes maturing in 24, where they um, needed an extension but were given priority security, was justified, though it's quite difficult to, to, to work out, at least at the moment, how that would apply to future cases with slightly different fact scenarios. So again, trying to draw all these three issues together before I hand back over to Rebecca. We don't think that Adler changes the fact that most desired commercial outcomes will still be capable of implementation via an RP, just that greater care might need to be taken in relation to both the terms of any new money and the justifications for differential treatment, particularly where debt ranks parry. However, the decision does raise some interesting questions, including whose alternative plan should be considered? Is it that of a dissenting creditor? Um, would the court need to suggest its own plan? And how will the court make a, make a decision in relation to these potentially competing interests? There can also be no assurance that an alternative plan would still attract the support of the assenting creditors, 
So there is a risk that you end up with detailed discussion of, of very much hypothetical scenarios. And finally, there's an overarching risk, and we do think a door has been opened, that the decision will require a court to engage in a more subjective approach to considering fairness. But the impacts of this will play out over the coming weeks, months, and possibly years as more restructuring plans come in front of the court. I'll now hand back over to Rebecca to talk about new money, the risk that RPs might turn into, into a branch of civil litigation, and some more thoughts on the practical impact of the decision. Thanks, Nick. So, starting with new money, um, for a moment we will concentrate a little uh, attention on Adler and the facts. Um, there, there seemed to be a fairly chunky sum of new money made available uh, to that uh, group. Um, what I'm not clear about uh, is how much of that was drawn. We assume some at least will have been drawn. Uh, because the Adler Group's effectively a bunch of German companies uh, in, in most part, and there are some strict filing and liquidity requirements in Germany. And one assumes that one of the drawdown conditions would have been that the restructuring plan was approved. So that was put in place. Um, it, it, it was on the face of it available because the restructuring plan originally was approved by a lower court. Um, that's now been overturned. So how, how does that really impact the new money? And in reality, I think the concern is less about how that new money is structured and the accompanying security for that, because that will have been done outside the plan because you can't impose obligations to provide new money through the plan itself. But probably what was done as part of the plan was some agreement on priority with the existing debt. So uh, re really it's the impact on that that uh, we imagine is going to create a little bit of angst for those new money providers and any new money providers going forwards because the timing of that new money will start to be a focus that perhaps wasn't the case to date. Um, should you allow the new money to be immediately available once the sanction order is made, or do you make the new money subject to the expiry of the appeal period, which is 21 days? Um, and even if leave to appeal is granted, what do you do then? because that could take months unless you try and use that as a point of leverage to get an earlier court date, which probably won't go down very well with the court. Um, so it, it, it all becomes very complex uh, and you're going to at least need some new money to bridge, particularly with German entities, the period of that appeal if it is going to be pursued. And, and that will definitively have an impact on the market and the cost. Um, and that then feeds into the next point, which is um, that that obviously provides an element of leverage and the ability to challenge. You can see now that Adler was successful, they challenged in the Court of Appeal. You can see that challenge being something that people will see as more of a, a negotiation tactic um, and we imagine that the courts will view that with a great deal of scepticism and discomfort. 
the reason why we think the courts and others won't be particularly happy about this as a development is that it's currently almost impossible to get court dates quickly to deal with something that is almost a plain vanilla restructuring plan or scheme, i.e., you know, the traditional amend and extend type uh, schemes or processes. Um, where you have something which is considerably more complicated, which is likely to have arguments around valuation evidence and other disclosure, you can see that sucking up time where you end up with six or seven day hearings, which impacts those people that have got simpler deals that they want to put before the court and drives timing and costs up. And you can see this being used as a real negotiating tactic right up to the court door. Drawing some of the themes that Nick and I have raised earlier together, that there's quite a lot of um, debate in the market about what the real practical implications are of that Adler Court of Appeal decision. Um, one of the things we've been thinking about at Linklaters is what does this mean in Germany, um, specifically in the Adler case? And one of the things we understand is that the sanction order was made previously. Everything was put in place from a documentary perspective. Various documents and, and uh, notices were posted through the clearing system in Germany. Um, and as a consequence for the certainty of capital markets in Germany, it is considered that you know, the new structure and the new documents are, are in place. Um, and you know, it, it, it's almost impossible to it, to unscramble that. So you're, you're left with a scenario where there's a slightly weird dynamic at play where things are settled in Germany because you can't unscramble the egg. It's happened. But in the UK, the Court of Appeal has said this, this deal doesn't work um, and you're going to have this conflict which is going to be put into sharp contrast, we imagine, should there need to be any changes going forward or should should this plan not work um, from a commercial perspective for the company and the company needs to start thinking again how it should restructure its debt documents. So the, the other thing that we thought was interesting in the Court of Appeal judgment was a suggestion that... Um, the, the lawyers involved made a tactical error in not blocking the lodging at Companies House of the sanction order. Um, that's quite an interesting point, but it, it pulls into play some really difficult issues because how would you stop that um, order being lodged? Even if you potentially had leave to appeal on the day, um, how, how, how do you physically stop that? Do you need to have an injunction? In which case you already need to have all the paperwork prepared for that injunction. Again, that's just driving cost, delay, expense through, through the roof. Um, also, if you do end up in a situation where you, you have thought ahead and that sanction order filing is blocked, what's the impact for the group, for the debtor itself? 
um, is the debtor going to go into an insolvency process? Because perhaps the new money, as I mentioned earlier, is conditional on the sanction being granted and the order being filed. Um, and so in the meantime, there's no access to liquidity for the business. And whilst you may have stopped the sanction order being filed so the restructuring plan isn't effective, so you can't go and do all you need to do to implement in Germany, um, it, it, that all becomes futile because in the meantime, the business goes bust. So, you know, these are all very interesting questions, but all they seem to do is just make this this um, implementation more and more difficult and raise probably more questions than, than, than we can really answer without having full access to the facts. And it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the coming months from a practical perspective, because to an extent, we're just speculating. So just to close off the podcast, I hope that people have found this interesting. Um, I'm aware that we probably haven't answered all the questions, in particular, the uh, slightly waggish comment I think we had in our slides, how do you unscramble the egg? Um, well, we're not entirely sure, but it certainly raises lots of lots of interesting questions about whether, in fact, you can unscramble the egg um, and how that will go, how that will be implemented in practice going forwards. Um, and if you want to remind yourself of the facts, many of you will already have seen our slides on Adler. Um, please refer to those. And if you have any additional questions that you'd like to discuss with any of the Linklaters team, you've got our numbers. Uh, and thanks very much for listening from Nick and myself.